So we're three days into the six-week inquiry, and I know that my next guest has some great perspective on it. She's covering it for The Globe and Mail, based in Ottawa. She's an investigative reporter. Marsha McLeod is joining us. Marsha, thank you so much for making the time. Really appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. So, Marsha, I want to get to what we heard today on day mm-hmm. three. Uh, but first, I just want to get a sense of how this is being felt in Ottawa, because you have the unique perspective of being based in the nation's capital. So the country is paying attention to it. Uh, but what is the mood as it's all unfolding there? What does it feel like? Yeah, I think that this is a really important I mean, it's important for Canadians from coast to coast to coast, but I think for people in Ottawa who experienced the three weeks of protests here in the downtown core, which extended, you know, not just um, immediately in front of the parliament buildings, but, you know, to a lot of residential neighborhoods, they really want to hear what is going to be said. And I think a lot of people want to feel validated that those were a very, very challenging three weeks um, for the people who were living in, in the protest zone. Um but one thing I think that's kind of been been interesting is that in terms of actual public hearings, um, they are open to the public. Anyone can come in. You kind of just have to go through security, like as if you're going to a courthouse. Um, but uh, they haven't been super busy. I know, you know, I think probably a lot of people are following along, um, reading stories, trying to hear what's being said. But uh, really, we're only day three into what's going to be about 30 days of testimony. So we have a lot coming up. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for people to attend in person. But you touch on something that I think is is interesting to take into account, and that's that even people in Ottawa aren't necessarily attending in person. We're all paying attention as Canadians online and sort of deciding how this all went down, even though many of us weren't actually there. Mm-hmm. Is there frustration that's felt in the capital from from people in other cities and other parts of the country having made a decision and deciding very passionately how they feel about it, about something that they didn't actually experience firsthand? Um, I don't know about that. I think I think that definitely Ottawa residents do have a very specific experience. Um, and during the commission, like we are hearing from Ottawa residents just back on Friday, obviously, a number of Ottawa residents testified um, and shared really what it was like for them. And I think it had to be, you know, this is just my speculation that it was no accident that the commission started off in this way, um, where the first day of testimony was hearing from residents who kind of set the scene for how they experienced uh, the protests over those three weeks at the end of January and and into February. And I want to get to that because I think for all of us to be on the same page, it's important to know what has happened so far. So uh, Mm -hmm. I want to get your reaction to uh, the testimony from the first witness who was called. This is Victoria de la Ronde, and she's talking about Mm -hmm. the long-term health effects that she's dealing with. Let's take a listen. impact on my physical well-being is, is uh, quite extensive. Uh, I certainly, during the experience, uh, had difficulty sleeping. Uh, I had an effect on my lungs and my throat because of the fumes and other smells. Um, and I also have long-term effects. The long-term effects are loss of hearing, loss of balance, some vertical, triggered by the sound of any horn now, and and a physical trigger when I get a smell of gas 
both my throat and uh, lungs start to uh, feel infected. That's Victoria De Laurent, who was the first witness called to testify at the Public Order Emergency Commission. So, uh, Marsha, investigative journalist with the Globe and Mail, what do you say to her testimony? That wasn't that wasn't unique mm-hmm. to hear her perspective. I mean, I think that, that what she shared was really important in the way that she shared not only what uh, she experienced during the three weeks of the protest, but also in the time afterward. I mean, the second witness that very same day, um, Zexi Lee, who helped um, get an injunction to stop the protesters from honking uh, truck horns, um, which, I mean, I think anybody probably knows, even if they weren't in Ottawa, a truck horn is very, very loud, um, including up to the point of being uh, not good for one's ears, especially that the concern was that the horns were being honked sort of around the clock. Um, and so Miss Lee helped get an injunction to kind of quiet quiet that honking down, and she spoke um she spoke sort of as the second witness and and the way that she described the time that the protesters were in Ottawa sort of she said it was reminiscent of a quote lawless world and she said you know that as an Asian woman uh, wearing a mask she felt like she was a target for the protesters Um, and you know she just sort of described the scene you know she talked about um, there were bonfires being had. Um, she talked about cans of fuel, which is a big concern, um, both for the city as well, um, dairy cans of fuel being sort of ferried around. Um, she mentioned snow being stained from um, people urinating and defecating, um, things like that. So I think some of these witnesses, they sort of painted the picture. I mean, even um, from, from the res- certain, from, you know, maybe many residents' point of view, certainly not all, um, but in, in some residents' point of view, um, and then on Thursday as well, which was kind of the first day, and we we heard some very, very brief um, opening statements from uh, lawyers who are representing the parties um, uh, in the commission. And, you know, one of the lawyers for who's representing a number of Ottawa businesses and residents, he mentioned the air horns, walk streets, uh, general lawlessness. He said his name is Paul Champ. He said, you know, quote, people, many people in Ottawa felt like they are prisoners of their own homes. So I think that was kind of one of the things, maybe a feeling that that quite a number of people shared. So, Marsha, I think we've set the scene for the first two days of testimony that we heard last week. Now we're into week two. Today was day three. Bring us up to speed about what we heard today. Uh, We heard a lot from Ottawa's city managers, and there were uh, some revelations uh, that maybe the city knew more about the protesters' intent to occupy the nation's capital for quite some time than we previously thought. So what was was the, the biggest testimony, the biggest piece that we heard today? Yeah, we heard quite a few things today, and I'll, I'll yeah, I can walk through some of them. But I think the thing that really stuck out to my colleague, who I'm, I'm writing about this with, Marika Walsh, and I, um, for us is that um, so the city manager Steve Kanellakis, uh, he had said in his testimony that you know the police were planning planning for a protest that was you know they were expecting it to last kind of an initial weekend, maybe a couple days into the next week. Something actually that Ottawa's uh, the Ottawa police's lawyer uh, briefly said last week, but it, it turns out that he he also said today that on on Janu- we learned that on January 25th the head of a hotel association emailed the city and basically said, hey, I've spoken with a convoy organizer and they say that they're going to stay in the city for a minimum um, of 30 days up to 90 days and that um, they're expecting to see about 10,000 people, maybe up to 15,000. Uh, coming into the city and basically they're asking about hotels. 
So the city gets this email from the hotel association, you know, with this kind of warning that this is going to last quite a long time and involves, you know, up to 15,000 people, essentially. Um, And it turns out, actually, that same warning um, was sent to police. We learned both from records and from Kanellakis' testimony. Um, Yet police at the time said that they were planning for 1,000 to 2,000 protesters. And again, as I mentioned, you know, they were kind of talking about a weekend, maybe into next week. Um, and so really now we're kind of, um, and I'm sure we're going to hear much more about this, um, left kind of questioning and, and what exactly happened there between the breakdown between um, those two kind of visions of, of what might unfold. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the the intention is to try to get answers with this entire inquiry. We have uh, five more weeks to, to go. Mm-hmm. This is going to be talked about a lot. But the question then then becomes, if there was knowledge of the protesters occupying Ottawa for some time, then were the police just ill-prepared? Was this mishandling of a situation that they they thought or assumed would escalate? What was the breakdown of communication? Uh, and that mm-hmm. will likely be something that we'll touch on in the next coming days. I think the miscommunication part is going to be pretty central to this whole commission. Um, even today, like we heard about miscommunications with the city and the feds, um, with the city and the province. And I mean, even just to spend a moment on that, um, the, both of the two senior city officials who testified today uh, described difficulty getting additional police officers um, from both the province and the feds. Um, and, you know, they both said that without those additional officers, the protests could not be brought under control, that the Ottawa police just didn't have enough um, manpower to really do it on their own. Um, and in one instance, they described a very serious miscommunication between the city and the federal government regarding RCMP resources, where the federal government was saying, you know, hey, the RCMP is committed 250 officers. And the city was saying, um, no, they haven't. Those officers are protecting federal assets, but they're not actually helping getting the, the, the protests under control. And the city and the feds were kind of going back and forth. Um, we also know that this sort of poor communication affected the city and the province's communication. We just learned that today, really, um, that there were a number of meetings held between um, that were supposed to be between the federal government, the municipality, and the province, um, but the city uh, manager, Mr. Kanellakis, testified that um, Ontario Premier Doug Ford was invited but declined to attend um, for a reason that he said was, you know, he didn't know why that was. Um, and in the, we can see in the meeting minutes from those meetings that uh, the mayor of Ottawa was disappointed that the province wasn't there. The federal government, uh, federal public safety minister Marco Mancino was saying they thought the province should be there. So, you know, we're starting to see some of these communication issues uh, come up. I'm curious, um, the mayor of Ottawa was supposed to testify today. Uh, what's what's happening with his testimony? Is he, is he expected to, to speak tomorrow? He is. He's expected to be on deck tomorrow. The, one of the things with this testimony is we don't really know exactly who's on, on deck each day. It's a little bit of a fluid situation, even the witness list is. Um, the commission sort of said to us is the anticipated list. But yes, we're very much expecting um, Mayor Jim Watson, who's the outgoing mayor of uh, the city of Ottawa, to testify tomorrow, uh, which should be a, a really interesting day. 
Uh, you mentioned the communication or the breakdown of communication between the municipality and the province. What about Ottawa Premier Doug Ford? Is he being called to testify? He, it's interesting. He has not been called to testify. Um, we actually asked his office about this last week, and I didn't. Um, uh, he has not been called to testify, so I'll clarify. And the province did not request standing in the commission, which basically would give them the ability to cross-examine witnesses, make submissions, that kind of thing. And we asked them, like, why didn't you ask for standing in the commission? And we we didn't hear an answer back on that. So um, we 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 won't expect to hear. Um, Uh, testimony from uh, Premier Ford. You know, I think that Canadians are are sort of decided on which which side they fall on in terms of whether calling the Emergencies Act was appropriate or not. Mm -hmm. There are political mechanics at play here, Marsha. Do you think that we're ever going to get an answer that's going to (laughs) satisfy us? Um, it's a good question. Uh, Mr. The commissioner uh, who is leading this inquiry, he is a judge in Ontario, and he's he is, he's going to go back to the bench after he after the commission wraps up. But he said something which I I I really like to hear uh, last week, and he said, you know, this commission is going to deal with a whole bunch of issues, but the focus will remain squarely on the decision of the federal government, basically to invoke the Emergencies Act. And he said, you know, the questions are basically. Why did it declare an emergency? How did it use its powers? And were those actions appropriate? So I do think we are going to hear from Rouleau um, on those questions. And I think he's going to come down and say whether the use of the act was appropriate or not. Um, and I think that his final decision, which is or his sort of final report, which is going to be delivered in February, is going to be really interesting. Uh, it certainly will. And so will the next several weeks as this continues to unfold and, and we find out more. Uh, Marsha, you're in for a, a very busy time as you report Absolutely. on this. We really we really appreciate you making the time for the show and, and sharing your perspective and sharing your work. Thank you very much.